every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Andy Nestor, CMO at First Up, the world's first intelligent communication platform. In this episode, Andy gives us the scoop on why First Up is the best in the biz at delivering information to individual workers, how he and his team help large organizations personalize experiences for their employees, and his approach to in-depth problem solving for customers. Andy also shares about his work breaking down organizational silos and how that helps scale success for businesses. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Andy Nestor, CMO at First Up, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I'm joined by a special guest and an old pal, Andy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? This has been truly years in the making. I can't believe we haven't done this sooner. But finally, 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 we have the great Andy Nestor on the podcast. So excited to chat with you about marketing, about demand, uh, about all the cool stuff that y'all are doing at First Up. But first, today's show is always brought to you by our friends at Qualified. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for companies' revenue teams that use Salesforce. Head over to Qualified.com to learn how you can start having a smarter, faster conversation with your buyers right there on your website. Check out the Pipeline Cloud, Qualified.com. Andy, what was your first job in marketing? It was a, a product marketing role. I'm dating myself now, but probably this is almost 20 years ago. I was working at a, a risk management software that was a kind of a Citrix based. If you're familiar from that way back in the day, yeah. um, implementation of software, and we were just transforming it into a SaaS based solution. We, it wasn't even called SaaS at that point, but it was a, just kind of a cloud based offering of our platform that I kind of moved into that, a role that was how do you package, position, and price this thing, which was product marketing. And that kind of kicked off my journey into doing that for a couple of years there, going back to grad school to get deeper into it, and then kind of launching after that. And now you're the CMO of First Up, an awesome company. Obviously, you know we know each other. First Up is we help y'all make an amazing podcast together. Yeah. But for, for those folks that, that don't know about First Up, a super cool company, in the HR space, talking about employee communications. Honestly, one of the most important things as someone who spent a former life in HR, how you communicate with, with your employees is like so important. What does it mean to be CMO of First Up? It's a, it's a really cool experience for me because you, you always have to be connected to a mission of a company. And for me, I, I really connect with ours. And it's, it, is, it's, it may sound lofty, but it, it's core to how we think about everything that we do. Our mission is to make work better for every worker. And, and we do that on the basis of communication. Uh, so we make an intelligent communication platform that's used to connect with an entire workforce, help leaders design and deliver really personalized communications, and then 
our biggest kind of claim to fame is then the insights we can generate coming off of those communications and that engagement that happens between the company and their workforce through those communications and be able to see that throughout the entire employee journey. And we're going to get deep into the marketing strategy here of how you acquire those customers, including 40% of the Fortune 100. Andy, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? Where you go and feel honest and trusted and you share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. <laughs> what does First Up do and who are your customers? Well, I mean, essentially, we are a communication platform. We are the best in the market at being able to deliver information at the right time, in the right place to each individual worker in an entire workforce than anything else in the market. And when we talk about every worker, we mean every worker. Most companies, when they think about communicating to the workforce, it's a lot of you know, knowledge workers, desk workers, people who sit behind a, a laptop like this. But in reality, 70% of the world's workforce doesn't have an email address. They don't sit behind a desk. So being able to, to communicate with them and understand how those, how those employees are either engaged or disengaged is really, really difficult if you don't have a platform that can automate this type of communication at scale and in a personalized way to capture all those insights that, that can exist when you keep that connection with the workforce and use those insights to really identify where there is potential challenges with retention, where there are productivity issues, where there are opportunities for advancement for people, where you should deliver more L&D, for example. There's lots and lots of great things that come out of really understanding the workforce down to an individual level. And so our, our job is really to help organizations use that data most effectively and ensure that they are, are getting you know, their workforce what they need. Yeah, it's so funny when when we first met and you were telling me about sort of like the size of this the problem that y'all are solving. I was just blown away at that stat. The seventy percent of workers don't have an email address because so in B two B marketing, like we're selling everyone has an email address, right? Like every single right. person that you communicate with. But in so many of those companies, companies with twenty thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand employees, where the majority of them don't, it is a totally different. Ball game, a rarefied yeah. air, as as one would say. <laughs> yeah. So tell tell us more about these customers and, and what that buying committee look like and, and what those personas look like. Yeah. So I think you mentioned that you know we, we have over forty percent of the Fortune one hundred customers. I think mean, that that's kind of a, a telling stat in a way that you know the problem that exists being able to reach and engage an entire workforce just gets so magnified when you're you know over a thousand employees, particularly if you're 10,000 plus employees. So that's where companies like Amazon and Tesco and Ford and BBC and Hilton, they use first up every day to connect with their employees. And so we really do focus on those larger organizations that have a real challenge with, you can think about diversity, diversity of the workforce, because they have people in multiple countries with multiple languages and multiple roles. It's just at a scale that you can't manage that manually. If you want to create a personalized experience for all of those workers, you have to use automation. You have to use AI. You have to use a platform that can enable leaders and communicators and HR professionals to be able to get to each one of those employees in a way that you can activate them toward the initiatives that matter to you. That's why that buying committee looks really varied as well, because I think when you're implementing a solution that touches every employee in the enterprise, 
a lot of people pay attention to what you're doing at that point, right? So it's not just HR or IT or operations. The CEO is usually involved because they are, they're very bought into the idea of if I'm going to do something that's engaging every employee, I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing by that and that we're, we're not creating more noise for our employees, but we're actually spreading more signal through that noise and be able to uh, engage them in ways that are much more effective than what they're doing today. Yeah. When, when we were sitting down, you know, all those, all those years ago now at this point, and you're sort of talking about how HR is this massive stakeholder, communications is this massive stakeholder, but like just internal comms, which is different than external comms, how those things play together, who is responsible for speaking to the employees in the company, that every single company is different. And then you layer on how does technology play into this? Is there someone at the company that's responsible for like HR tech and those things? It's a pretty complicated sale. And like, you know, to your point, it's like, if, if this is something that is so important as talking to your employees, like the CEO is often extremely involved in that because they want to make sure that they're communicating effectively and they have things to say. So it's, it's really a fascinating problem. Yeah. And there's rarely one true owner of the platform, even within our customers today. I think there's a lot within HR that is, I think emerging today that is around kind of this operational mindset uh, that kind of sits across all the silos of HR because it, HR and large organizations, there are, there are 20, 30, 50, hundreds of people that are in that department that all have very specific roles. They're not thinking about this holistically most often. So they're starting to become a role that's more operational focused, that is looking across how to tie all these pieces together and then using communication as a vehicle to be able to deliver, I think, a lot of what the outcomes that these individual groups within HR are trying to trying to do. So we are seeing some some advancements there as far as that role becoming more clear, but still most most often today it's it's a it's a role that exists but not in name. It's just done by multiple people at one time. Which is quite the sweet spot when you're <laughs> creating a technology. Anytime that right. someone will have a role who's who's overseeing the problem that you're solving years from now is where you want to be. What's your marketing strategy? So for us, I think we're still in a we, we uh, taking a step back, we we lead the the category that we that we essentially created you know five six years ago around workforce communications. So our our job is to continue to push the bounds of what that category means, and to educate the market, particularly our buyers, on what they should expect from these solutions and how they should be thinking, kind of two three years out in their minds of the evolution of where this is going to go, and not be anchored on where things are just today, because most of, most of these organizations are they're buying into a multi-year vision and they're buying a, a solution that they're going to have for three, four, five, six plus years. You know, they, they want to be confident that we're going to take them somewhere that isn't even kind of visible today. And so our marketing is really built around kind of setting that vision out there and then really showing them the pathway that how we're going to get there and why that matters to them. So very, very, still very content heavy, very reliant on, the voice of our customers. We have amazing customer roster. So a lot of our marketing is based on telling the stories of those customers that's built around ROI. It's built around the problems that they have and how they're solving those problems in ways that are very relatable to, you know, like for like industries or roles that exist within our customers. And then a pillar of that still comes down to how we build community out of that, right? So we have all these great customers. We have these great customer stories. They want to share with each other. They want to learn from each other. 
we have an opportunity to be the facilitator of how they get together and learn from each other and, and really kind of grow the function overall and the impact it can have on these organizations. Because we've come from a place where communicators were the primary audience of, of how our platform is used. That's not a really often seen as a strategic role within these large organizations. A lot of times they get pushed off into the corner. They don't get a lot of budget. They don't get a lot of attention, even though they sit on this gold mine of data, essentially, because they're the ones overseeing the communication to the entire workforce. Right. That's where we're seeing you know, that evolve now into a broader set of stakeholders that are, are really interested in what this is because they, they're seeing what they can get out of it as it pertains to the problems they're trying to solve within their departments. How do you structure your marketing team? I, I like to think that it's, it's somewhat, I guess, traditional for a SaaS company, but maybe not. I think that it's an ever-changing ever thing. And kind of the two, the two primary pillars of our team are you know, a kind of the, the brain around product solution, competitive intelligence, content strategy, that all kind of sits within one group that we have that because that really is taking in market feedback. It is understanding what our customers are are, are struggling with, where the opportunities are there um, and be able to take that and then feed into what we do on demand and how we build our campaigns and how we go to market there, both from a looking at what we do from an inbound perspective, but also what we do on creating demand in an outbound perspective. So an account, very much an account-based strategy with our sales team, but that inbound outbound balance is really important for us. In the middle, we kind of have this view around essentially services. So brand and creative services that do web development, graphic design, video production, content writing, that's all kind of serving the rest of the team and how things get done. And then there's a community pillar that's in there as well. It's kind of the fourth R of it is around community. That we've, that's a relatively new area for us that we created about a year and a half ago to really set a, a, a clear kind of objective that we want to have the most influential and vibrant community in the market for our, for our category. And to do that, we need to dedicate resources to that. Not just dollars, but people and, and mind, mind share there. And so that's been a really exciting area for us that we're seeing to grow. And we're already seeing the huge dividends from that. I'm curious when you're thinking about community and you have a sort of a couple different personas, how do you think about building a community? Cause it's like, you know, if you, if you, if you're selling developers and you build a developer community, like DevRel yeah. is like very common, right? But if you're selling to three different personas that all have these inner interlocking rings, it can be more difficult. We are dealing with that exact same problem right now because we, we had originally built a community that was for communicators. But right. now as we see that who we want to attract and engage within the HR department, within even within IT, there is a, a an inherent conflict there ultimately because the, the strength of the community really is how focused is it and how, how, how personalized is that community in a way for the people that are in it. So the more you water it down with multiple roles and multiple functions, it, it starts to lose some of its value. And so for us, we've thought really hard about how do we connect those pieces together under a kind of a common thread of where there's a shared purpose between those different types of roles. And so we're taking some first steps this year around being able to get our friends in the communication world to bring in their HR partners with them, to bring in their IT partners with them when they engage digitally and when they come to our in-person events, because they're, they, are, they do have a shared purpose. They're trying to improve the employee experience of their workforce. 
And each of those other departments play a huge role in doing that. And so we're not making this just about the problems of a communicator, but just raising it up one more level to where there is a shared purpose around how they are collectively kind of marching toward the same objective. That's seeming, that's seeming to work. We'll, we'll find out as we kind of continue here and where we need to kind of branch off and have more specific things for more specific roles. But so far, we're able to keep this somewhat um, as a, a kind of a big tent. I love that. That's so cool. And I love the idea of bringing, you know, taking your, your sort of like your, your, your core group of, of comms folks and having them bring their partners along. It's a big ask, but it's a, it's a super important one. And like you said, they're more than just sort of like stakeholders, right? It's like, it's someone who is, has a real impetus to, to sort of like row together. If they want to get anything done, they have to work together across that kind of triad anyways. And so this is a natural outcome of that. So we're not forcing anything there really. I think the, the biggest area we find is that a lot of times we are initiating relationships that maybe don't exist very well within some of these organizations that need to exist if they're going to be successful on this large, kind of larger objective. So I think that part we're pretty excited to see when those come to play. And then we see just how how the eyes light up of an IT professional, HR professional when they kind of come to understand just just what they how they could use this type of solution and how impactful it is to their own KPIs that they're that they're focused on. Any other thoughts on sort of marketing strategy or how demand fits into that or org structure or anything else there? Yeah, I think that we've gone through a bit of a transition over the last you know six plus months where you know we we used to have a very we've always had a very strong content strategy. But I think that you know we were focused really heavily on maybe the wrong things when it came to creating content, kind of a, a, a bigger, bigger funnel, volume over over quality. And mm. we kind of lost the thread on, you know, are we creating, are we actually creating demand or not? Are, are we drumming up interest for something that is maybe adjacent to what we do, but looks good for SEO, it looks good for lead, looks good for MQLs, but not really translate into things that where people want to talk to our sales folks. Like we were generating almost almost by accident, creating a longer sales cycle for our company because we were pulling people into into a funnel that really shouldn't have been in the funnel yet. And then yeah. our sales team goes to talk to those people. They're, they're so far out of a buying cycle. And then they waste their time trying to pull them into an opportunity when they should be focused on people who have intent, people who have raised their hand and say, I, I'm ready to go now because they've already done all the work ahead of time either through engaging our content, engaging with our community or other places too. And so I think we, we lost the, the uh, kind of the thread when it came to kind of splitting that funnel in a way that we got the people who were ready to be engaged, to put them in the hands of sales and the rest of the people to kind of get them out of the way, disqualify better and move them out of the way in that direction. So for us, that looks like things that like, you know, for content syndication, for example, like things like that, that generate a lot of volume of leads. Yep but don't really signify intent. We've backed away from a lot of those things like that. And we've moved more toward, you know, really, really doing activities that, that we, we know will, that will be proxies for intent, or we're doing things that maybe before we couldn't measure as cleanly. So that's podcast is a great example where it's, it's very difficult to measure the impact of a podcast unless you do things like self-report attribution or things of that nature, yep. where you can start to measure those things in more clear ways those are all very logical to think about. We just, we weren't doing those things. And I think that was a fundamental shift for us to think about how we invest our dollars 
and our time much more toward reaching our our prospects in the flow of how they consume information, like natively, you know, in LinkedIn, in Facebook, in places that are are they're more like to engage to learn about stuff, rather than trying to pull them into our world before they're ready, ultimately. I love that. And that's that's the space where a community can build that anyways, right? If they know who right. you are and when they're ready to engage or, or they're seeing sort of the the demand creating activities that you're talking about, then when they're ready to to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm actually ready to buy, then you get way more value out of that. That's like the point of community, right? Is in the and the point right. of some of that type of content. Rather than like you said, trying to just like jam you know, MQLs into the system that people who are like, not, not really there, not the right, you know, persona or whatever. It also changes the role like downstream of, of the SDRs, you know, BDRs, SDRs, whatever people call them, right. you know, instead of them trying to convert someone into a meeting, they're focused more on discovery because they know there's intent there. They know the meeting is going to come. And now it's more about, all right, well, what can I find out about the pain point this person has? And what's specific to their company that may be different than what we would typically think about. So that when we do have that meeting for the first time, it's super tailored and it's very much on point to solving the problem that customer or that or that prospect has rather than trying to just kind of bulldoze them with our talk track and hit them with a first call deck type of thing that just, you know, just speeds through to get through it. And then we don't end up with like a, a proper conversation then. That's such a great point. I'm glad that you brought this up. This is this is a, a really important point of it's like, hey, you look at the data and you're like, we're pitching a bunch of people on our stuff. They're getting through the slides, they're doing that, and we just don't see any follow up there. I wonder why that is. And you're totally right. It's like if those initial calls are listening rather than talking and you find out all this information, then you find out, oh, a bunch of people that weren't ready to buy, who weren't ready to see the slide deck yet, were getting the slide decks, then like, how much time are we wasting doing that? That's super, right. super fascinating. Yeah. We used to have a model that was heavily reliant on, on outbound SDR demand creation. And that just, by and large, creates a lot of activity. And it's from the measurement perspective, it kind of looks good on paper once again, but when we look at what drops down into new business, you know, such a large drop off, such a low percentage gets down into to, you know into late stage pipeline or even closed, just doesn't just doesn't work in the way that I think the way that today's buyers buy. Yeah, and and when you shift that content towards, you know, the demand creation type thing, then and not so much as sort of like buy now, buy buy right this second. Yeah, it's yeah. it's probably a, a much much different different conversation yeah. for sales. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello, you play to win the game. Where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Ooh, I like that question. I don't think anything's uncuttable ultimately. <laughs> It all depends on what's working and not working. Right now, our most important tactics or channels, if you will, ungated video content that can be consumed, like I said, natively by our kind of ICP. You know, that, that part there is, we're seeing traction of that. We're very convinced that's the pathway forward. And I think we'll, we'll keep investing there even over other things because we see that that's getting to our audience in a way that 
we haven't traditionally gotten to them. Second thing there that kind of feeds into that as far as you know further upstream is capturing and producing and distributing our customer stories. We've we've done a good job of creating customer stories historically. We've gotten much better in the last year about refining how those stories are told, where there's a clear before and after. There's a clear ROI that we're articulating. We're helping our customers articulate a story that is more powerful and less kind of nice to have. You know, I think that that part for us and those get chopped up and put into video content that gets put out into into the market on channels that we don't own. And I think the, the third thing there is is, you know, podcast. For us, I think that is a it's a great way for us to be I think a little more genuine and genuine in the way we we tell our story and a little less structured in how it happens. And also do it in a way that's more consumable for people to to listen to or or to watch when they're able to. So I think that versus reading a blog or a white paper or some other long form content, an ebook or things like that, it just seems like if we put all of our focus in those areas, as far as you know, video content that's ungated, things like the podcast, customer stories, we can really really build a, a good not only awareness of who we are and what we do in the market, but we can really set the stage for people to find their way to us and raise their hand that they want to, they want to understand more about what we do. Dude, if I showed you the three things that are on, we had a marketing meeting yesterday. Those are literally the three things that are on, on our list. It's like video podcasts, ungated video content and customer stories. And it's like, it's so true because I think that for so long, we thought of customer storytelling and customer stories in like one way. And I think what this new way allows you to do is you can be really tailored to the before and after ROI type story and have those in a place on your website that the person, they want to see these, they're going to see these, they want to watch the one that's exactly like them. And they want to see before, after the, the, the very crisp, very tailored very, very produced, you know, give me exactly what I need to know ROI type conversation so that I can go to my boss and go look at XYZ Corp because they got ROI from this and we will too, right? You need to have those, but you also need to have customer stories in the other ways, which is like where you talk about, you know, podcasts, video podcasts, things on social, your customers talking about you in a way that's unfiltered and conversational and personalized and less produced. And like those two things work in harmony crazy well. And like yeah. that is totally, it's the same way that I think about that stuff. Uh, yeah. That's great. I love it. What is one thing that you think is like maybe not working or fading away? So we, we touched just a little bit around, you know, things like content syndication, you know, just producing to feed Google, which is, we're not in the game of that anymore and that we're not going to play that, that kind of be in that, that hamster wheel. But the other thing we're playing around with a lot now is like the, you know, the concept of events and trade shows, you know, for a little while there, they just disappeared. And so we didn't have to think about them anymore. And now as of the last year, they're back. And I think that it's really interesting for us, how we decide where we should be and where we shouldn't be. And then, we, and then ultimately how to measure what is good and not good from, from these types of events. They certainly haven't gotten less expensive in the last year. They've gotten way more expensive. Yep. There's, a, there's a, an odd vibe at a lot of them now because people aren't used to being at them. So it's, they're, yeah. 
at them for the first time in many years. Even even internally, like our people are, you know, our marketing team, our salespeople, et cetera, at the events. So just kind of out of practice too for what to do with these events. And so it did all around just feel kind of lethargic and and not not done very well. But that's where I think for us, we we've we're moving away from things where we kind of pay to be somewhere. And we'll we'll focus in this year, back half of this year and into next year, focus much more on events that, that we own, that we mm-hmm. that we produce and we put on that are more regional, they're smaller. Yes, they involve partners and customers as far as storytelling, but they're more kind of workshop based and and done in a way to to get create more engagement and less about, you know, a, a booth and less about kind of going through the motions in that way. We'll still be certain places we have to be just based on kind of category leadership perspective, but you know, the days of us going back to having 70 events or a hundred events in the year, those just, those are over for us. And do you think it just spread the team too thin plus the T&E plus all that stuff? Cause that was part of the thing for me is like, it's the, you lose the travel days, you lose the day while you're there. You, the T&E stuff is crazy. I don't know if it's like yeah. inflation or what, like I'm not a yeah. you know economist, but I'm like, it seems like everything is so expensive I love events. I think events are amazing. I think they're so awesome, but I like just tend to agree that it seems like people are just kind of picking and choosing a couple rather than just spreading their team. And then that team, that's all they do, right? Is like all they're doing is on the road. Yeah. For, and you're like, is this all actually worth it? Yeah. I think that's I, the time thing is so critical for me, I think, because that, yeah. because, because we're all distributed now, everyone's coming from different places. And the, you get these kind of travel days on either side. It, it, it does become like the opportunity cost of that is we could have done X, Y, and Z instead of that. And would we have reached more people? Would it have been a better outcome? And I think that you can talk yourself into any event. You can, you can measure yeah. how you want to measure it. You can do it by, oh, we had this many demo meetings or this many oppor- discussions we had. But the data for us just shows that at least from a sourcing perspective, we're not sourcing business at events, really. Right. The data doesn't prove that out. Now, influence-wise, maybe, but even that's pretty weak in the sense for, I could argue that we could influence those folks in far more efficient ways than maybe seeing them at an event in person. So I think that, that part for us is it's been hard to, hard to get our head around, particularly if you're not in the, in the mode of just kind of acquiring leads if that's not your goal anymore, if your goal is to acquire high intent kind of pipeline, well, trade shows become not a great way to do that. Yeah. They are truly a engage the 95% that are not ready to buy activities. And then the question is, well, is there a better way to engage this 95% than by chucking a bunch of people at this thing. And then with the big event sponsorship and you're like, what are you getting for that? No, I mean, I think, I think the smaller batch events that you own and control and, and can deepen relationships and then leveraging, you know, persona driven content, like, like videos, like you said, in customer stories and podcasts can sort of, you know, live for longer and, and you can be really tactical in the way that you engage people there. I think that, I don't know, I tend to feel the same way, but I, I think it's, I think that the people on the road, the T&E, that those costs are so high and the opportunity cost of using the people that you have to send there is so high that that's the thing that you're just like, "Mm, I mean, 
rather kind of just have them sitting at home for eight hours and cranking away on the projects yeah. that can have more value. Yeah, yeah totally. Any notes on sort of the, the small batch events and stuff that are any best practices there? Yeah, I think for us, like we, we took a different approach this year and kudos to our, our kind of community layer, Chuck, like he, like we're going to do these kind of regional events differently. We're going to, one, we're going to make them super specific. So we've done them by, by vertical. So we have kind of spotlights on certain verticals. We bring people in just around that particular industry. That's been very oh, successful. Cool. And the, the second thing is, is doing things kind of non-digital, like, so no screens, you know, the whole, the, the whole kind of two, three, four hours, whatever it might be, depending on the, on the scenario it is, you know, there's no PowerPoint, there's no laptops open, stuff like that. It's very hands-on, it's very conversational and it's meant to get people kind of outside of their typical mindset because most of the people that we're talking to are working from home or they're in an office. So they're in front of their computer all day long for, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours. So just breaking out of that mindset and thinking differently has been super, super welcomed. And so I think we'll continue that process. It's just to, to do things differently than what they would expect. I love that. That is awesome. That's really, really cool. Do you do like some snacks and drinks and all that sort of stuff? Is it sort of yeah, how it's, experiential it's the, yeah, is the, it? All, all the things like that are in play as far as like giving people a comfortable experience. But more so it's to, it's to you know, have topics that will create maximum engagement and then get people up and moving, working in groups, whiteboarding things, walking through an exercise that takes them from, all right, I need to build a best-in-class onboarding experience. How will we do that? Where do we start? And they walk through the steps of that and help people think through kind of almost like a journey mapping exercise of like how I'm going to do this very much in the same way we do with you know mapping the customer experience type of thing. But they're trying to do it for the employees and they never really have the time to sit and do that. And they can't do it with their peers. So having the opportunity to do that with their peers in a safe space and get things that they can just take and turn and use directly back in their companies as soon as they get back in their organization, those have been super big draws for us. Final thing on events that I wanted to mention, we've sort of heard rumblings of of CMOs saying maybe they don't do their user conference and things like that. Other people being on the total opposite end of the spectrum, like never cut, no way, never. How do you think about your your, your big user conference? Yeah, I think um, on one hand, when those happen, they're magical, right? Everything comes together. It galvanizes the entire company. You you get this huge momentum push that forces a lot of things to happen, right? You 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 get that next level demo ready faster because you're going to be for the the big event. You get all your customers in one place. You get prospects to engage with them in, in a really crazy environment where they're just being fed all this awesome first party information around like how awesome first up is. So we, we love those things in that sense. On the flip side, there's a huge cost to that too, right? It, it takes almost the entire company in a lot of ways to put on that event. And there's a lot of risk, right? Because we, we have to, we have to, you know, invest, you know, seven figures on an event like that. And we don't, we don't charge people the true cost of that event because it, it feels unnatural to charge someone, you know, $3,000 to come to a, uh, a two-day event for, in our space, at, this, at least at this stage, maybe at some point we'll get there. But so we're, we're eating a lot of that cost. And there is a positive ROI there for sure, but how much of an ROI, that, it's a good question. So I think we're, we're always looking at 
is this the right way to do this? Do we, do we, instead of having one big bite at the apple, do we break this up into two or three one day events? And they're done in different geos across the country and even across the world, such that it's easier for people to get to the commitments lower on the, on our customer and prospect side to make that commitment to come and do that sort of thing. So we are, we are looking at that in ways that allow us to create less content there, more but kind of higher quality, and then repurpose it a couple of times over the course of the year, rather than today, it is kind of all leading up to one big explosion for this event that is a major, major undertaking that taxes the whole company in a way to make it happen. Yeah. For listeners who don't know, so first up, .io, an amazing website. I absolutely love what y'all have done with it. Didn't exist a couple of years ago because you you were a merger of companies. And I got to say, it just looks amazing. The website is so awesome, what y'all have done with it. How do you view your website? Well, I mean, our website is kind of the front door to the company, right? Like in, And I think about the website in particular as being, I've heard someone else say this before that I, it's not my saying, but I've stolen this in some sense that you know, it outside of it's the second most important product at the company. And for us, we have to be six, seven, eight months ahead of where our company is today with what we're reflecting on the site. Because like I said before, our, our customers are, are betting on us for a long journey. We need to show them where we're going and that we have a big vision and that we are, we're mapping and tracking toward that vision. And there's and there's logic of why we're going there. So for the website, it's it's really key for us to be able to show that that vision out there. And also for us, I mean, it is it is the the primary way that we will capture intent in the market too. Right. So our demo requests, our pricing requests, our contact us requests, the people who come in and ask questions on drift through the site, like those things become, you know, our, our primary proxies for intent that we pass on to sales. So that has to be a really efficient process. It has to be optimized for the best experience possible for that prospect. And at the same time, it's a great place to test. I would say we have a long way to go to, to be good at this, but you know, A-B testing on the site, looking at kind of primary messages, not just on the homepage, but in subsequent areas on the, on the site where you get into solution-specific pages or persona-specific pages, really testing to see like what's landing within within the prospects. Because what we would see by doing testing in our platform with our customers could look different from what we see from prospects out there who are, as we're shifting how people think about the platform and who the buyer is, the economic buyer, as that starts to expand, we have to get smarter about how people think about how they talk about the problem that they're trying to solve and what will resonate with them the most. And so they, that, that testing ground, it's the ultimate testing ground for us to be able to figure out the best way to frame and position what we do and who we do it for. Y'all did something really cool on the website. If, if our listeners, if you go to firsttop.io, so you have, you know, the first intelligent communication platform is, as the big H1 and then right below the fold are just, just sneaking right above the fold. You have customer case studies and you put on there, watch video and the length of the video next to the logo. And I think that is so clever. I've never seen that. I think it's absolutely brilliant to just put it right there. And so many people, you know, you put your customer logos there, but actually having 
the photo plus the logo plus the you know big lot save 10 million with just in time training and then watch video with the actual length is so digestible i love it yeah 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 big shout out to our web team there and ray i mean she she's gone through a lot of kind of thinking through the optimizations of how to how to get people to actually watch those because it so much of the content that is still out there is it's chunky it's long we want people to be able to get in and get out fast and get the point across pretty easily so we do that on our website instead of putting a demo we put watch video case study so there's like a let's let's chat button on caspianstudios.com and then there's a watch video case study that is the number one thing clicked on our website is yeah. is that watch video case study and it brings you right to the to a case study with one of our customers we've tested other things there but like that works absolutely the best and it's so funny how we always push to like go demo first, demo first, demo first. And we have like a, a video, you know, neck, like on the main screen that you can watch, but people watch the customer case study more than they watch the demo video. And it's like, that makes sense. This is yeah. marketing in 2023, right? Right. Is like, yeah. actually just show me it, show me who, who did it first. And then, okay, yeah. then I'll go back and, and figure out what the heck this thing even is. Isn't that funny? Right. right. That is, I mean, that's, very, very germane to like how we, how we do things in our consumer life as individuals now too. Like I think in a lot of ways. So it's, it's way too easy to learn about things without the company's involvement in any way. <laughs> so we might as well make it seem like that for them when they do yeah. come to talk to us. Okay, let's get to the desktop. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting We talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your shelf teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust up in your career, Andy? I, many. I think there's there's healthy conflict within any startup, particularly when it comes to who you're going to target, how you're going to target. Are you convicted in what you have? Are you willing to to change your your strategy or your tactic because you're getting indicators of, of something else happening there? So. Yeah, many, many conflicts across the way, but like, I don't really engage in too many kind of shouting matches, alter, altercation type of stuff. So I, I stay pretty calm. And admittedly, I think that often riles up the other party a bit by being that way. But, you know, my goal ultimately is to understand where the other person is coming from, what their motives are, and kind of work from there. And so I think that that's served me pretty well throughout the, throughout the time. Let's get to our final segment, Quick Hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how qualified.com helps companies generate pipeline quickly. Tap in your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversations right there on the website. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Andy, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Ooh, I think adaptability is really key especially in, in the role of a CMO. The job is hard, market ships fast, competitors pop up over the place. Navigating that, getting them to thrive, getting the team to thrive in that kind of environment is a skill that you've got to be good at. And I think that's one of my strengths. Then it's served, also served me quite well over the years. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show that you'd recommend? All right. Not work-related. I have to go with The Bear TV show, Hulu, check it out, 30-minute type of show, series. It's speaks to my heart. I'm a, I'm a closet chef and watching that guy go through his journey is, is fantastic. 
I love it. What's your best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their marketing strategy? I also didn't come up with this, but I've, I've really held this to be true. I mean, your your job is to, if you haven't created it, you have to own it, but you have to really own the story of the company, get everybody else in the company behind that story and be comfortable telling that story. That's like the number one priority of it all. Like, yes, you need demand gen. Yes, you need all these other things to work. You've got to create pipeline. You've got to create growth for the company. But if you don't own a a story that can captivate an audience that can resonate with a, a buyer, a target audience in that kind of way, that everything else falls apart. And so you really have to be the embodiment of that story and own that in a way that nobody else does and be confident when that story needs to change and evolve over time. Can't be stagnant. So I think that's something that if you can't do that, someone's going to do it for you and then you've lost control of the, of the role. I love it. Andy, it's been so awesome having you on the show. Again, it was a long time coming. For our listeners, go to firstup.io, go talk to your comms team, go talk to your HR team, your IT team. And if you want to connect the employee experience ecosystem here, you got to go do it with First Up. Any, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I think that's great. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.